welcome, friends, and thank you for tuning in to an all-new episode of Heartfelt Consciousness, and I'm your guide today, Laura Bender. So today's guest is Ambika Devi, and she's an international best-selling award-winning author, uh, indie publisher of four different books, an expert astrologer, and dynamic speaker specializing in igniting your intuitive magic, getting your creative flowing, um, and then just kind of putting you in touch with your inner wizard. So she studied in various fields, including she has a master's in yoga and meditation and a bachelor's actually in astrology. We'll be talking to touch on those um, today during our conversation. So thank you again for tuning into this episode and I'll check in with you on the other side. I just want to make sure I've got everything muted that could disturb us. Yeah, no worries. Um, I feel like um, now with technology and with Zoom and everything like that, it's just like we have so many other distractions and things that uh, will kind of just like that can be. Yes, that get in the way of having a a conversation. Um, It actually was kind of interesting. A few minutes ago, my um, a friend of mine put together. Uh, she went through like a training course over the weekend that was about, um, it's called laughter yoga. Uh-huh. So it actually, um, I just attended that uh, like probably about 45 minutes ago, an hour ago. And um, yeah, it just, you know, it was nice to have this, this is a time, a session and not necessarily have to worry about what was distracting, you know, things outside or, um, you know, cause we had landscapers around the outside and, you know, or maybe the weather or whatever was on my cat or something like that. And, um, yeah, so I just, you know, I it's, it's kind of nice. Sometimes we have these distractions in our day to day and, um, but anyway, <laughs> so anyway, welcome Amica. So thanks again for being a guest. Um, so I was connecting with you through um, Podmatch, which you know is a matching service, and we um, I, I saw your profile and it really spoke to me because you have dabble in different areas of meditation and yoga. Oh, it's not dabbling, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just put it this way. So I, no, I, have, I, I let's say that I have deep foundational roots. Okay. Well, yeah. So maybe you're the tree that's, that's branching out into all these things. So would you mind actually sharing with our listeners a little bit about your journey, especially with like meditation and, um, you know, since obviously it's a huge part of your life and even with yoga and things like that. Sure. Be my pleasure. Thanks for having me as a guest. Yes, absolutely. My journey with meditation began at six years old. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to the idea of sitting still quietly when I went to Quaker school. So I was a first grader and the Quakers call it meeting for worship. Mm -hmm. What happened is, first of all, I'm in a brand new school. I'm all freaked out. I'm a very, very, very shy child. And my brand new teacher tells me, okay, everybody take hands and uh, we're going to leave our classroom and walk out and go to the meeting house. None of us knew what that was. Well, maybe some did because they had grown up in families with that, but I hadn't. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little freaked out, a little scared. Of course, very dutiful child though. And we did as we were told, we walked over there. And I remember that our little classroom was a stable 
on this property, an old stone stable. The meeting house was a huge stone structure with big, thick doors, and it just shadowed over our little tiny stable of a classroom. And this property belonged to William Penn originally. Oh, wow. Uh huh. Little just, history there. That's kind of oh, cool, right? And awesome. uh, this was one of the early meeting houses in the United States in in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I remember walking in. It was cool. It was dark. The benches didn't look comfortable at all. <laughs> they they looked very stiff and dark mahogany with uh, a burgundy colored cushion that didn't look very cushy. And we went and sat down and it just was peaceful. We sat there for an entire hour. Can you imagine? Oh, especially as a kid, like six years old, seven years old, but (laughs) we weren't alone. It was all the classes from first grade through sixth grade. Wow. And we all sat there for an hour quietly. It was magical. And I remember feeling really calm and really peaceful. So I was looking forward to it again next week. This happened on Wednesday mornings. What a great midweek break. I know, right? Absolutely brilliant, you know? (laughs) And then when I look back on it, we got together and sang on Tuesday mornings. So we sang, we sat. Is that much different than living in an ashram? Years later, I went and I lived and studied in an ashram and though we did these practices daily, I still felt that these roots as a child were very, very strong. I stayed at that school all the way through fifth grade. I went on to another Quaker school and then another. And in my high school, we actually sat on Wednesday mornings for an hour and Sundays for two hours. Oh my. But we were really in kind of monk training, if you think about it, you know, for being able to sit that long, but that created such a strong foundation. Now, back when I was a little child, also, my mother got into yoga class and she studied with a a teacher who was a disciple of Iyengar. Maybe you've heard of Iyengar. Yes, yes. Looked into some of his books. If you haven't, everybody, I highly recommend you do. He was very innovative and very thorough in his discoveries and teachings. And she took me to class with her, and I loved it. I remember Shavasana the first time, which is when we lay down at the end of class to rest and just feeling like I was drifting, like I was in such a peaceful place. And I wanted more and more of that. Now, if we go back to when I was six years old and in first grade at the Quaker school, we had a May Day celebration Mm -hmm. and Yogi Amrit Desai came with a grouping of his disciples and they did yoga in this beautiful grove surrounded by huge, huge pine trees. And our, our school had this ancient megaphone. They used to take this ancient megaphone out into this grove, you know, with the big horn on it, mm-hmm. play music for events. We would have these outdoor gatherings and they were playing classical music. And I'm watching all these yogis in white. And we, the first graders and the 12th graders were all dressed in white because we were part of the May Day celebration. I just remember thinking, 
a connection. You know, they're in white, I'm in white, something's going on here. And I turned to the child next to me and I said, I'm going to do that. And, you know, it was just in me when I was little. It uh, There were so many events, but these are the ones that really stand out that put me on this path. I went on to take my first teacher's training mm -hmm. for yoga when I was 17. Back then you could take it at 17. I was turning 18 during mm -hmm. the program. So they let me in because I was turning 18 by the end. So I felt really, really grateful then. I went on to study in several more schools. I have taught, I estimate over 19,000 people how to meditate. And meditation has always been the goal, if there is a goal, of yoga, yeah. of teaching yoga, of teaching physical yoga. I don't teach physical yoga class anymore. Mm -hmm. I primarily speak and teach about taming the mind and meditation. Yeah, I love that. I, I feel like that, you know, some of us, at least myself, I started with the practice of, you know, with asana and that's what brought me into that. Um, but now my own practices have just generally shifted to that same area of, um, you know, just working with meditation and, and breath. Um, so kind of going on from that question, so in our communications that we had back and forth too, you, you know, you have a couple um, degrees, like a bachelor's degree, um, actually in astrology and fine arts. So what, and I know we kind of talked about like, that's kind of a sister science to yoga. So oh, it's what, not kind of, it is, or a it is a sister science. science. Yes. So what brought you to start pursuing those areas? I became interested in astrology when I was about 11. Hmm. I was a bit different than some of the other kids. <laughs> I became a really good reader at an early age because of that education. And I was always encouraged to explore books by my mother. So when I was in fourth grade, I read everything that Ruth Montgomery, uh, Ruth Montgomery wrote. Mm -hmm. And in sixth grade, I read pretty much everything I could get my hands on by Herman Hesse, Carlos Castaneda. I became very interested in these mystical practices and sciences. Mm -hmm. I began to study astrology on my own. And later I went on and got a title from North Star University. Unfortunately, they're not there anymore. It was mm -hmm. in Arizona. I had already been an acting professional astrologer, and I wanted to write for newspapers. Mm -hmm. I used to take courses at the school, and I met Penny Thornton, one of my teachers and mentors in astrology. And she said, you know, I really think you've got it, yeah. which is a huge compliment from her. And she encouraged me to go ahead and go to school there because she felt that I would definitely end up writing for periodicals and probably going even further. And she was right. As soon as I was done, I was already taking astrology clients at a spa that was owned by Marriott. Oh, cool. At a big convention center in yeah. Arizona. And uh, I was giving meditations and teaching all sorts of what we could probably label as esoteric mm -hmm. Uh, information about chakras, holistic health has also been in my background. I, I taught that for 21 years at the university level. 
And I, I brought a lot into astrology. So of course it was really easy for me to move into it professionally. And then Marriott uh, got involved with, or at least that particular hotel got involved with a show on the learning channel. And I ended up being an astrologer for that show behind the scenes, but I, I did get on in an episode. Very cool. Live, That's, yeah. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. What was the name of that show by chance? I'm kind of curious if I can go back and like find it on demand or something like that. <laughs> you can, it was called second chance. It okay. was an early, um, one of the early reality TV shows, I think, because uh, the the premise of the show was a person would want to reconnect with a relationship from the past. Yeah. And could it be possible? So the director, we met when they were filming on the property and we got into a conversation and he challenged me. He said, okay, I'm going to give you the information of a pair of people and I want you to tell me could they make it in a relationship? So I never met the people. I never talked to them. I had to produce a three page written report on the pair of them and whether I thought they could make it in the long term uh, in a relationship. And uh, that's how it got started. Wow. That's really interesting. I love that. Um, So thinking about like a lot of these, how do you take all these teachings that you gathered from Far Eastern schools and applied it to your day to day. Oh, I think they just are. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I have to consciously apply them. Yeah, yeah. I have a pretty as a yogi, we our yeah. daily practice is called sadhana, and I have a pretty strong personal practice. My sadhana, I I do some physical asana. Mm-hmm. I do what is considered the the king and queen the prince and the princess postures, which are headstand, shoulder stand, standing forward bend and seated forward bend. Uh, I do those every day. I do heavy duty pranayama, which are breathing exercises. I, I do uh, the, the pranayama that I prefer to use every day is Kapalabhati mm-hmm. and also Analoma Valoma. I went on after getting my degree in astrology and I had already had a fine arts bachelor's to get a master's degree in the education of yoga Mm -hmm. at Hindu University of America. And since then, I have been researching and writing and producing all sorts of material and content for PhD research and meditation. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to follow that up with the last question. So, um, but anyway, I, I do usually tend to ask this to everyone because everyone's, you know, it's almost like a lot of us have had very similar experiences, especially over the last year. And then some of us have, um, you know, maybe there's always something that kind of connects everyone in a way. So what do you feel is the most valuable lesson that you've obtained from 2020? That I am completely happy and secure in my aloneness, that I do not need to go out. I don't need trappings. Uh, it's, It's really helped me with the yogic lessons of dispassion 
mm. and the idea of attachment. It's given me the opportunity to really focus in on building some skills like editing video and creating video content, which I'm really grateful for because for years leading up to it, I really wanted to do it. So I kind of felt like it was a, a gift. Oh, I, I'm really happy at home. I love to travel. Don't get me wrong, everybody. Right. I love to travel. I've, I've been to 30 countries. But being forced to stay home and stay in has helped me complete a bunch of creative projects. I finished a couple books and uh, I've got another one almost completed. And uh, I, I'm just embracing it. I really, what choice do we have but yeah. to embrace it? Um, I also, you had asked me, what's the connection between astrology yeah. and <laughs> yoga? And what I would like to clarify for everybody is the Vedic knowledge has three daughters, and they are for body, mind, and spirit. This is where the idea and the English term body, mind, spirit came from. It comes directly from the Vedas. And these daughters of the Vedas are Ayurveda, which is for the body and the physical world around us. Mm -hmm. Yoga, which is for the mind. And Jyotisha, which is for the spirit, and that is astrology. So we have already embraced yoga since the 60s, since the 1960s. Yeah. Then Ayurveda became more mainstream. Now we see that everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting. When is everybody going to wake up to that third element, <laughs> which is astrology? Mantra and choosing what sounds to make and when to make them needs astrology to tell you, or else you are making a random toxic soup of noise. Oh my. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. It's great that you've made that connection. And thank you again for sharing that. I appreciate that. Beyond that, the language yeah. is very, very important also, Laura. And what I want everybody to know is yes, intention goes to a certain point. But it is very, very important to learn how to pronounce things properly when you're using a foreign language or else you might be saying something else. And this happens a lot in Sanskrit. Yes. Even yes. just saying the title of the language properly, which we don't hear in English, which is Sanskritam, because there are yogic things that happen in the mouth when we make the sounds properly and they affect the body in a particular way. So I encourage you all learn proper Sanskrit <laughs> if you're using it in your teaching or your personal practice. Yes. And actually we were just talking about that. I think uh, amongst teachers that I, that I also work with. And I, I feel like some, some areas that of my own just, learning have been very minimal of that. So yeah, definitely. It's something to, to really get down and study and get. To Absolutely. Know. Make so, it your friend. <laughs> uh, you you've got to learn the pronunciation of yeah. what you're using. You really do. Or you're saying something else. Yeah, that's for sure. 
Well, Amica, thank you again so much for offering your time and your energy today. I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Um, so have a great rest of your day. It's my absolute pleasure, Laura. And thank you, everybody, for listening. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ambika. So don't forget to share, review, and subscribe. Be well, my friends.